You are now listening to the Soccer Football Podcast. What is up, everybody? We are back once again. It is your favorite one-stop shop for everything Premier League. This is the Soccer Football Podcast, and once again, I'm alongside my trusted co-worker and colleague, Andrew Severn. How's it going, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode. We're, we're happy you're here. So game's coming thick and fast once again. Figured we'd get in this early week episode before this next round of Premier League fixtures, and also some pretty major breaking news coming out today. That one piece of news mainly being the... Chelsea firing of one Frank Lampard, club legend. Uh, we had talked on the pod about the rena- renaissance that uh, Mikel Arteta and Ali Gunnar Solskjaer are both having with Manchester United and Arsenal, but Chelsea deciding to cut ties with Frank. Sev, let me hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, it's, I think, a very complicated day for a lot of Chelsea fans because obviously being the figure that he was as a player and bringing him in to be your manager, you do know that he's not going to manage for the rest of his life or um, 22 years like Arsene Wenger maybe, but that just means that someday he's going to have to leave the club. I think it's a lot sooner than a lot of people expected. And I just think the firing of a manager who is so so closely removed from his playing days that also is a club legend just must be leaving a lot of Chelsea fans feeling conflicted. Yeah, this is so Chelsea to me. Um, Mm. We know that Arsenal, of course, had uh, Arsene Wenger for 22 years. Uh, United had Sir Alex Ferguson for like 18, 20 years, whatever it was. Chelsea have never really had a manager for that long, even with Jose Mourinho when he was, he had like the best season, one of the best seasons ever in the Premier League. They fired him after three seasons. They just chop and change managers. And yeah, I mean, if you're Frank, it's a dream job. I feel like you have to take it, even if you're probably not as experienced as some people would have wanted you to be, but you have to take that job on. It seems very harsh to me, considering that the transfer embargo last year, he still got them top four. Uh, And then with all these new players in, he, of course, is going to have to up the game and up his his own standards uh to really to really compete with the clubs that i'm sure roman abramovich would have wanted to compete with like uh the united's the cities the liverpools and he hasn't really done that but it's the one real drop in form he's had so far which is seems harsh yeah i will pull out some statistics here he was 28 11 and 18 in his one and a half seasons in charge of chelsea and you look at those figures And you do have to say that the Chelsea that we know of four years ago, who were Premier League winners, that that's just not necessarily the standard that 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 Chelsea ownership and their board and their fans have come to expect. But you know, you look at the other side of that that top four finish last year after the transfer embargo, the way that he was able to get the best out of some former academy graduates like Mason Mount and Tammy Abraham and Reese James and even Billy Gilmore, young Billy Gilmore coming up and Calm Hudson Adoy, you know, a, a player that a lot of people are st- still excited about. So yeah. so there was some good 
uh, sprinkled in before the bad. Uh, like I like like you said, I think the human empathy side of it and uh, some of the more uh, fans coming from other fan bases do look at this and say maybe a little bit premature, but I think you're spot on when you say that it's just a very Chelsea move to cut ties with a manager who's not living up to the Chelsea standard, even if it's yeah. only you know a half of a season of that type of form. Yeah, I mean, going to be super interesting to see what happens to Mason Mount now. Uh, of course, he was one of like Frank's favorite players, basically started every game he could. Uh, and all the memes that were coming out today on Twitter about Mason Mount were pretty funny. But yeah, I mean, so Chelsea, it's definitely super harsh. And I almost think that Frank was his own worst enemy. He probably wasn't in charge of all the transfers and all the players they bought. But I mean, you can't go out and spend whatever it was and then kind of have a, a lull or a lapse in form midway through the season and drop off this much. Um, I think that was the final nail in the coffin, really, just the amount they spent and then this kind of collapse yeah i think the the price tag of their of their you know cumulative transfer expenditure this past window was one of frank's biggest undoings despite maybe creating an unfair expectation like you bring in a 21 year old midfielder who's very promising and a 36 year old center back who uh, you know, is one of the more distinguished center backs of the past decade, undoubtedly, but uh, definitely an aging center back. And and then, you know, uh, Hakeem Ziyech, who's been out most of the year, and you think that that automatically turns you into a title contender, or or at least that's the expectation from the fans and the board. And as we've seen, that's just not how things often play out. So, you know, yeah. that price tag did work against him in that respect because I think, you know, those four players alone aren't going to turn you into title contenders overnight. And that's what we saw. Yeah. I don't think they will. I think it's pretty hard. Like it's a massive assumption to be like, you go out, you spend all this money on these four like European superstars. And then you just expect to kind of be in the hunt for the, for the league title. But that's the Chelsea model. You know, I, I think that's, what that club's built on is immediate mm. success. And if you're not going to do that for me in the here and now, then you're just, you're, you don't deserve to be a part of the club. Yeah. I I'm against that business model. Uh, I've, I've kind of always disliked Chelsea ever since they were the first ones that really entered this money spending craze uh, back in the two thousands. But that's what the club's built on. That's what it's about. And, you know, Frank would have known that taking the job in the first place, being a part of all those dominant teams in the, in the 2000s indeed that's a really good call and and another thing to think about is the oft-reported new headline that kind of came out as soon as the frank firing was also being reported on which is that thomas tuchel the former Borussia dortmund and paris saint-germain manager who was fired by psg on december 24th will likely be Frank's successor at Chelsea. Tuchel managed PSG to the Champions League final last year, finished first in League One, although that's not really the barometer for a successful managerial tenure at PSG, just given the the lack of parity in that league. And I think generally had a successful two and a half years, I do believe he was there for that long. Yeah, 
you know, it's funny. He's almost he's almost in in the exact same situation as, as Frank, given you know a slight dip in form this year after a, a relatively successful last year, and then being sacked to hire a hot candidate out there. Him being succeeded by Pochettino at PSG, and then now taking yeah. this job at Chelsea. It's it does feel like a little bit of a carousel. Yeah, I mean, I do remember him from the time of Borussia Dortmund. I think he uh, he took over from Klopp at Mainz when Klopp left, and then took over from uh, at Dortmund after Klopp left, and then moved on to PSG when they made him an offer. And I know he was massively touted when he was at Borussia Dortmund. They he kind mm. of revived that club, um, and everyone was, was had nothing but great things to say about him. I think he's kind of the shine's kind of fallen off. Being at PSG and not being able to win a Champions League, that's what that club's always wanted to do, and he, he wasn't able to do it. I think he's a great manager, but we'll have to see if if this is just going to lead to immediate success because it's so competitive in the Premier League. I don't really see how, how he could come in and just instantly kind of guarantee them success. Yeah, you do almost wonder... Why now and what's Chelsea's aim for this? Is it the fact that they're still in Europe and want to make some sort of push there and Tuchel did it last year? Is it that they think that they have just enough time by letting Frank go now, even the day after a win, which is always a funny thing to see. Usually, typically, you know, the manager sacked the day after that big 4 nothing loss to that mm-hmm. lower table side. That wasn't the case here. Do they think that they just have enough time to make a, a push for a top six or top four spot in the league? I mean, that's a question that only the board at Chelsea will know or the ownership at Chelsea will know, but it is kind of a fun exercise to ponder. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the inner workings, the behind the scenes of the club, but if Roman didn't think Frank was the man, I can understand him just cutting ties because what's the point in keeping this man in charge and him continuing to put the stamp on the squad if you just know he's not your guy going forward so you know sometimes there's something to be said about just you know behind the scenes forcing a resignation you know just you know it just has a little bit softer of a touch in the headlines and you know with your club legend you maybe just let him see out the year leave it a little bit more flowery for the fans i don't know you know a la arson banger <laughs> yeah i don't think they care at chelsea they're yeah I don't they're either. like uh yeah. I, I guess like the star wars analogy they're just like the death star and like they just don't give a fuck what anyone thinks. They're just gonna do what it whatever. Just destroying it takes. everything. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, that was the one piece of news coming out of London. There's another piece of news coming out of London. We touched on the Uzzle situation uh, last podcast, but it looks like Martin Odegaard has finally gone across the line. Is that now fully confirmed? Well, I think it's safe to say that we're switching from the O with the two dots above it to the O with the slash through it, <laughs> as you've probably seen on Twitter everywhere. Yeah, the the tweet that got me was it was almost like the Edu or whoever's in charge of recruitment. It was just like, I like ideally we would need uh, a number ten whose first name starts with O and last. I mean, start first name starts with M and uh, second name starts with O, <laughs> and they just went out with a bunch of little squigglies in it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. No, I mean, it's not confirmed by the club yet. Allegedly, according to some of the bigger club insiders, Odegaard was at London Colney walking around meeting the players today, which would be January 25th. And so typically what happens is the player arrives, 
does his medical or physical or whatever, or starts to do some physical testing. And then they do a photo shoot and a video shoot so that they can release the video stuff like the next day. And mm-hmm. then they might release like a little video of him walking around, dapping up some of like the big name players at the club. But uh, even though it hasn't been officially announced by the club, well, probably, there's it's probably fist bumps during, during COVID. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Elbow touches with everybody <laughs> around the club with his Arsenal face mask on. And then they release all that stuff tomorrow to hype up the fans. So not officially done, but officially done. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I've always loved him. There was uh, an interview way back when, I think he was like 17 um, and he was like bursting onto the scene and he was talking about how much he loved Liverpool. He was like a boyhood Liverpool fan. And I was like, oh my God, we need to get this kid. He's fucking absurd. And then of course he goes to Real Madrid and kind of spends a few years on the fringes, um, but has looked really yeah. good on his loan. What was he at? Sociedad? Yeah. So I'll do a little bit of a, of a bio of him because I've been doing a lot of research as you might expect. Some YouTube he burst onto the scene at 15 playing in Norway's top flight. I believe in his first professional season at 15, he had something like six goals, seven assists mm. as a 15 year old. And subsequently did do that, make that move to Real Madrid. Like you said, when he was 16, he got his first La Liga appearance. He played 26 minutes in a substituted appearance at the age of 16. He played mostly with Real Madrid Casillas that season and a little bit of the next season. And there were concerns that he was stagnating a little bit. His development was stagnating after, you know, being 15 and making this massive Madrid move and being this YouTube and internet sensation. He went on loan for two more seasons to Herenveen and Vitesse in the Eredivisie in the Netherlands. His Herenveen loan was first. It wasn't really quite as successful, but supposedly the the story that I heard is that he did start to show some more maturity in that one. And then with Vitesse, he really broke onto the scene, became Vitesse's player of the season, had 11 goals, 15 to six in all appearances. And then I think the move that you were alluding to was last year's loan to Real Sociedad, Mm -hmm. where he was really a revelation for that team, a team that finished uh, sixth in La Liga and is playing European football this year. And he was kind of their offensive leader, really the running the engine room of that high powered offense. He is, he's one of my favorite types of players. Anytime you get a player that can kind of match their goals with their assists and get good numbers in both that just it's it screams to me at least that you're just overall quality and you kind of bring a little bit of everything to the team yep i i've always been against the players making those massive moves to a juggernaut like real like bayern like barca when they're super young because you're just not going to get the play time with all the money they have at their disposal so Good to see him bounce back. I've always rated him, and I'm actually kind of excited to see him for an Arsenal team that has bounced back recently. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited to see him, but I, I want to urge caution because he only has like 280 minutes played across all comps this year, and his only start came mm. in like November against gotcha. Inter Milan in the Champions League. He was really good in that game too, which is a lot of fans were asking why Zidane dropped him because he created their I think only chance of the game or one of their two chances of the game he he slipped somebody in and they got fouled so but he he hasn't played a full 90 since then so he he might take a little bit of time to to get his feet on the ground and get running with the team but I'm super excited what are the odds this uh turns permanent 
I think it really depends on with players like this where they made their dream move early on and then kind of got a hard dose of reality. And then some of his loan moves have been good, but I think also recognizing that it's not the level that he's capable of playing at. I think the the hope for Arsenal fans is that he gets a lot of game time, produces well, appreciates playing in the Premier League and recognizes that maybe trying to force it at Real Madrid will be worse for his career than playing at a you know slightly less large but still pretty massive club that is going to give him that opportunity and play at a high level and that you know in a couple of years could very well be in a position to win some trophies just yeah. that's the nature of the Premier League yeah player I'm pretty excited to see uh, I've always loved his game and just him as what he kind of brings to the team um finally one last piece of uh, transfer news. Looks like Willian Jose also, after speaking about Real Sociedad briefly there, it's like he's coming in for Wolves on a uh, on a loan to the end of the season, maybe with an option to buy at the end of that. I know we have been talking about Fabio Silva for the past few podcasts. Quite a he bit. He did get his first goal, um, but good to see another young-ish striker come to the Prem. Yeah, I wouldn't call him young. He's 29. I mean, oh, still he? has a... Yeah, still has a couple good years left in the tank, I think. A player that I really didn't know too much about, but after I saw his name being floated around as a potential loan to Wolves to help them with their striker situation, I did do a little bit of research. And I think a good comparison to him, not just because he's Brazilian and a striker, but because their games really do match each other quite a bit is kind of like a Diego Costa. He's he's big, he's yeah. really smart with his movements, and he's a pretty clinical finisher who strikes the ball really well. Really strong, strong player. And uh, another thing that I, I realized in my research is just how productive he's been in La Liga in the last like four years. 11 goals last year, 11 goals the season before, 15 goals before that, and 12 goals before that. So a player who's pretty productive, but kind of lost his spot this year to Alexander Isaac. He's played significantly less and only has three goals in limited time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I well, I actually knew him originally from FIFA. That's when I why well, I thought he was young. I guess it was like FIFA thirteen. He was like twenty. <laughs> that does happen with FIFA, though. Yeah, it always um, does. I that's good to see. Uh, that actually gives me more confidence in Fabio Silva now too. That Wolves are going after because Raúl Jiménez is like twenty nine. Uh, William Jose is twenty nine. So they're just kind of getting more backup in that forward line and just another guy for Fabio Silva to learn off of, kind of tweak his game around, um, and then to also ease the burden so you're not you're not trusting a 17-year-old with basically keep you in, keeping you in the premiership. I will pose this question to you, though. Like, why did they make this signing? Do they, do they think they have a chance of getting back to Europe? Or do they think they need to stave off relegation? Why not if you're 14th in the table and looking like you're going to finish as a mid-table club, just, you know, stick with Fabio or recall Patrick Coutron from from Fiorentina or they, they've they thrown Owen Adesawi up top at times, given that he's kind of like a big physical dude who can do some hold up. Like, why not just roll with those options, you know? I, I do get what you're saying. They're... I mean, they're 10 points away from relegation. They're 10 points away from Europe. So it's kind of whatever they make the rest of the season. And 
I, they've been struggling for goals. We've come after them multiple times in the podcast for not playing attacking football. Uh, maybe this Raul Jimenez injury, like they don't want him, they don't want to force him back too early, or maybe there's something else to it about how much he's like lacking in match sharpness, or there's something deeper in there. I think it's just the fact that this season could go one of two ways for them, and they don't want to put one the burden on a 17 year old shoulders like for his mental development and his his professional development after yeah, spending 40 down, million, yeah yeah 40 million on him and then also just having that backup having those options which in a season like this one is definitely just crucial yep i i, I do agree with that it's just i guess worth worth the question because yeah, yeah maybe maybe they they didn't have to shell out that much for the for the loan and i like i said i don't think sociedad needs him that much so maybe they were they were pretty open to the loan move and and made it agreeable for wolves we won't know we will yep. not know well we will be right back once again with uh the four games that we didn't cover on last podcast for those roundups all right we are back and only four games that we can cover uh, after some FA Cup fixtures this weekend, uh, but we're going to kick it off with both Manchester clubs in this top of the table fight that you now both stand, uh, find themselves in: City versus Villa and Fulham versus United. Yeah, City Villa was the first of those games that happened all the way back on Wednesday of last week, Wednesday the twentieth. And I think, actually, if you did watch this game. It was, I think, probably one of the most entertaining games of the season just because of the pure number of chances. I mean, there's 40 shots combined between the two teams. Unfortunately for Villa, City are kind of a freight train right now, and they were just that helpless body tied down to the tracks. I mean, they did. did, It's unfair to them because they did put up a really good fight, but they were also undone by potentially one of the worst calls we'll see all season absolutely yeah they held firm until the 78th minute and emmy made a number of really good saves emmy martinez that is the villa goalkeeper in the 79th minute there was that bizarre passage or play that saw bernardo silver score Rodri tracking back from an offsides position to strip the ball off tyrone mings and kind of like start that goal scoring action that like i said ended in that bernardo silva chance what would you make of it luke I I get why it can be construed either way, but he's in an offside position. The ball was played. Tyra Mings is obviously considering Rodri is out of the play, so he's kind of like trying to chest the ball down. It's just not like fully under his control either, which some people are trying to say it was. It's not really fully under his control. Rodri comes back, like puts a toe in, and then Bernardo Silva picks the ball up, goes scores. Like Ed, that, that to me has to be offside. It's nearly like criminal how that wasn't called. And so the argument against it was that Tyrone Mings voluntarily tried to play the ball back, which made any sort of offsides negated because it was a it was a voluntary movement of the ball that's that was the argument that was made against it i'm asking i actually i actually didn't really follow up on what the controversy was here yeah it, the whole thing's like are you getting an advantage from being in an offside position and he was so far off sides tyra mings goes to like control the ball like takes a touch Rodri coming back from an offside position tows the ball away mings considers him offside thinks he's out of the play so in my view that's gaining a massive advantage from being in an offside position 
Um, I mean, Dean Smith got sent off for it. The Villa players were online after the game, kind of saying, "That's ridiculous." Yeah. Uh, I, I yeah, I don't understand how it wasn't called, but there you go. Yeah, and even after the goal, Villa players immediately voiced their frustrations. It wasn't like a after the fact retrospective trying to you know save face. They 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 definitely mm-hmm. were caught off guard by the play in the moment, which from even the turnover all the way to the goal scoring chance can definitely throw you off and kind of hurt your ability to properly defend being caught that off guard. But it definitely was a little bit of controversy. Like you said, Dean Smith got sent off, had a kind of funny post-match interview where he said he asked the, uh, he asked the referee (laughs) if he got, got juggling balls for Christmas, kind of insinuating that he was a clown. For not making the correct call, which is an absolutely legendary line. Like, what a line. And the fact that, I think it was David Coote, and David Coote just knew instantly what he meant by that and just sent him off. So <laughs> classic. Is so funny. So, so British. Yeah, seriously. That, that level of trash talk, talking with that, with that level of kind of, yeah, of wittiness, you just don't see that often in sports. Yeah. That's unreal. <laughs> and, uh, and, and after that win, it did see Manchester City... Even with, uh, even with United on on games at that point, go atop the table. That mm-hmm. changed with the Manchester United versus Fulham game. Yep, changed. Uh, well, like an hour later, when Fulham and United played, and Fulham started pretty well. It's one of, it's becoming one of the hardest places to go if you're a top team. The way the pitch looks, even on on the uh, the broadcast, it just looks so small and compact and just looks like a very tricky place to kind of go and play some football. Fulham grabbed an early goal and United kind of looked like they could be in some trouble. Fulham were defending pretty well, but then it was that Edison Cavani goal that leveled it up. What do you make of Fulham's side at, at kind of attack and approach to this game? Well, I think I think we think back to not to say think a bunch of times. We we look back at our criticism of them after week one and week two, before they made a couple of really nice incoming loan moves. And our kind of criticism with them was that they lacked some players outside of Mitrovic or outside of, um, yeah, really outside of Mitrovic who had any sort of skill in and around the box. And they went and they got Lookman and they went and they got Loftus-Cheek and Anthony Robinson started games and was bombing down that left-hand side and they became an incredibly dangerous team in transition and that's part of the reason why they're becoming such a hard team for these for these top six teams to face because they can defend well and they can break out with a lot of pace with a lot of players who are pretty creative in transition and punish you and then continue to defend well for the rest of the game so I think that that's what they've been able to do pretty well, and they have a lot of balance throughout their throughout their squad, be it all the way from some depth up top now, like I said, with those additions all the way to the back where they uh, have been pretty solid. So uh, I guess if I had to s- yeah. make a synopsis of their of their play to this point, that would be it. Yeah, and I'm getting more and more impressed with Anguisa. Yep, Anguisa. I think he, if he continues his run of form, could get some looks from some big clubs, bigger clubs. Um, He's really impressed me. Uh, United, though, like credit where credit's due, just been in immense form recently and seemingly have this belief that was probably lacking 
the start of the season. They just kept going. Obviously, Bruno Fernandes is just continuing this kind of unreal stretch since his arrival. Um, he was the one that set up at Edison Cavani for the equalizer. The ball kind of like deflected around the box a little bit and Cavani tapped home. And then it was Paul Pogba in the second half, uh, just after an hour played, kind of out of nothing, uh, got the ball on the top right-hand side of the box, had a good touch, opened up some space for himself, and then leathered a ball into the far corner with his left foot. Yeah. I mean, that was an unreal finish. And once again, another United player that's proving himself and has had a, uh, a pretty Im- incredible run of form recently, too. Yeah, absolutely. Him loading up from the space that he did with his weak foot. I mean, I don't think most people, when they saw him start loading up for that shot, imagined that he was going to just absolutely yeah. leather the ball past the keep. But you're right; he's been in he's been in really solid form. He's had a he's had a run of good games for them. We all know that when Paul Pogba's motivated and when he's when he's sharp and when he's yeah, when he's at his best, he's one of the best central midfielders in the world. We saw that a little bit during the restart of the last Premier League season. And now, I guess, as the season wears on, he's he's kind of finding some form here now. Part of the reason why Manchester United sit atop the table. Yep, and with that win, they went back ahead of Man City uh, with one more game played by two points. So the two United clubs sitting on top of the table currently. And then the next game that was part of this this week of four Premier League games was the Liverpool versus Burnley game, which I'll let you speak a little bit about Smeek. I know I know that that game caused a lot of frustration for the Liverpool fan base. Yeah, I, I'm not writing the season off at this point, but with how many days are left? Five days left in the transfer window now. If we do not go out and sign a center back, there may be riots from the fan base towards the owners because it's kind of staggering when you do think about it and what we've had to do this season that we're actually like still in the position we are in. Um, and the form is now only just kind of caught up to us after this pretty, probably the worst run of form we've had for at least three years. But we just looked like a team devoid of confidence that marked the fourth game in a row we didn't score a game a goal in and it just didn't ever seem likely that we were going to score it was i mean bar a divakarigi howler in terms of him breaking through a gift from ben me and then he hits the crossbar it was one of those games where you're just watching and you kind of know what's coming um just some, just some pretty depressing performances. Honestly, speaking as a Liverpool fan, um, the the fear factor's gone from the team. We don't look slick. There's just people that shouldn't be playing center back playing center back. There's midfielders missing from our midfield because they're now playing center back, and we're just not the team that we were even a few months ago. One of the frustrations that I saw online was this persistence on crossing the ball from non-threatening positions into the box uh, and leaving comfortable clearances for a Burnley team that is very capable of handling that type of that type of offensive attack with Ben Mee and Tarkovsky just being 
you know, such strong, physical, dominant in the air center backs. One good thing that did come out of this game was Tiago Alcantara, another really solid performance from him. But yeah, it sounds like, and it did seem like in the game, there was just a lot of frustration with Liverpool's inability to to create goal scoring opportunities, you know, after being a team that never yeah. really felt like they lacked for that the, the last two years. Yeah, I mean, it's I obviously with Trent and Rabo, that has been a lot of the game plan is crossing the ball into the box and that constant pressure with the center backs sitting high up and you know the ball gets cleared from across and it doesn't matter because we have the ball and it just comes straight back and then we make another chance and if the other team somehow manages to get the ball past Fabinho who's tall and is in center defensive mid there's two of the fastest players in the Premier League Joe Gomez and Van Dyke to just run after whoever get the ball back and then we're on the, the front foot we don't have either of those center backs the crosses are so easy to deal with when it's Salah, Firmino, and Mane in there, and you're up against Maguire's and Ben Mees, and we're just not changing the way we play. It's so infuriating. There's just such a lack of seemingly inventiveness from this team, and I think Thiago has played well and obviously was brought in to help us play against some of these teams that play in this low block, which seemingly every team does now, but it's not enough. And yeah, Sadio Mane, uh, Bobby Firmino and uh, Salah were benched for this game, probably for to give them a rest. But Sadio Mane's nine key passes were still not enough to unlock the door and let us score. Yeah, and if I, if I remember correctly, uh, it was one of Ox's worst ish performances ox ox cannot play on the wing he just he's not a winger and it doesn't work anytime he's played there tough game for liverpool saw them like you said maintain that that run of games without scoring and dropping points to a burnley side that has actually been in relatively good form recently but a team that liverpool is obviously expected to beat yeah, very tough. I will just touch on a soft Ashley Barnes PK making it one 0 to Burnley, seeing Liverpool lose their first game in sixty nine games at home. Yeah, that was that was quite an insane statistic as well. Uh, just that the level of Premier League home consistency that's that was quite staggering. I mean, basically three and a half years, three years of uh, of of without losing at home, and and finally just the last the last game, and I think. You could expect this game to be played amongst the FA Cup fixtures because of Aston Villa's COVID outbreak that kept them that kept them from playing games for so long. They're they're trying to make up games. I think they are now two. They're at 17, so two back of of the teams in the Premier League who have played the most games, which would be 19. They met up with Newcastle, making up an old fixture that was due to be played, and it was a strong performance for Villa, a team who despite the COVID outbreak or, or pre-COVID outbreak within their locker room, was playing very, very well. Ollie Watkins scored the first. Bertrand Traore scored the second in this 2-0 win. Bertrand Traore, a player that I want to touch on, player who I didn't really rate all that highly when I was seeing him play at Leon. I thought he lacked some technique and was a little bit of a pace merchant, but both this game and the game against City, he was pretty dangerous, and I do want to give him some credit for uh, those two performances, which I thought were outstanding. He almost got a goal against 
Manchester City on a pretty ridiculous skill run and was able to uh, put one in the back of the net in this game. And also good to see Ollie Watkins, who was so successful in the early season, get back on the score sheet. Yeah, he's uh, Bertrand Troy is one of those players where he can look so good and then so shit, like seconds apart. Um, be interesting to see if he's going to keep this spot in this Villa team, which is playing some more brilliant football, that close game against City where they were unlucky in and now pretty decent performance against Newcastle. And then also, uh, I don't know if we have touched on this, but I know you're a man who loves a, a, who loves a good name. Marvelous Nakamba. Yeah, I did see that. I did see that phenomenal name, like an absolutely ridiculous name. There's a guy in the NBA named Precious Akunwa, I believe. I might have butchered the last name, but as soon as I saw Marvelous, I thought it rivaled Precious, and they're just both in their own in their own right phenomenal names. That's a that's a that's a mother who who loves you quite a bit to call you Marvelous. Yeah, you got to do something something right in life if you're named Marvelous. Well, it also puts some expectation on you, right? Like you don't want to be <laughs> named Marvelous and uh, not really amount to anything because what's what's marvelous about that? <laughs> yeah, the mother's love for you is the only thing marvelous at that point. Yeah, for real. That's like that's a great call, and uh, also worth no- noting that both for this game and the Manchester City game, Villa got back Ross Barkley. We did give him a lot of credit earlier in the year for being another creative outlet in that Villa midfield, taking some of the pressure off Jack Grealish and being one of the factors that got Villa off to such a a great start earlier in the year. Kind of an unforeseen benefit of that COVID outbreak was that they got two extra games of Ross Barkley. Now, one of them was against City and nobody would expect them to win that, but him being back is is definitely helpful for them. He missed uh, seven games with a hamstring injury and has been out since week 10. So happy to see him back. For sure. So that basically wraps up the games that we didn't manage to cover on last week's podcast. Some midweek games and games over the weekend to look forward to. Any big storylines that you're keeping a close eye on entering this stretch? Well, I think that the table did get a little convoluted with teams on 19 games and teams on 17 games and teams on 18 games. And while that's still the case, I'm looking forward to a little bit more clarity as this week and next week kicks on. I'm not exactly sure how it works out, how teams like Everton and Villa who are still sitting on 17 games are going to be making up those games, but I'm looking forward to that happening so that we can get a little bit more clarity on this, like I said, convoluted table to this point. Uh, I haven't really gotten a chance to take a a look ahead to some of the matches that are coming up in this midweek. Some good ones here. The Arsenal-Southampton game is a great battle for 10th place, a rematch of the FA Cup (laughs) tie this weekend that that Arsenal dropped to Southampton. Chelsea versus Wolves, another battle for a mid-table spot that I think a lot of people will be excited for. But then the real, the two big games of the weekend are Leicester versus Everton and Liverpool versus Tottenham. Yeah, uh, going to be very interesting to see Chelsea. I'm going to keep a close eye on them uh, with, well, no manager right now. So interesting to see how, how they turn up after the news. And then, yeah, can United keep up their form? Can City maintain this ridiculous run of form? Can Liverpool do anything besides suck? going to be interesting to see yeah tough game for teams chasing those top two spots given that the first and second teams play the 19th and 20th teams 
would be surprising if one of them dropped points. You'd want them to definitely get the full three. And like I said, tough four, a lesser city side who's currently in third and is playing an Everton team that's playing some good football and has James Rodriguez back. Definitely. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this roundup of this kind of weird stretch of fixtures nestled in between the FA Cup games, but hope you guys enjoyed it learn something once again if you'd like to see any segments come back following this bigger run of games uh, where we can go more in depth into or anything else you'd like to see us talk about just let us know yeah we appreciate you guys listening enjoy the midweek games peace out love you guys